Well, good morning, Genesis. It is so good to be with you today. Thanks for letting me come and uh, share with you this morning. And what a great time of worship, too, man. I was out here just singing as loud as I could, and then I reminded myself, oh, you've had a cold for over a week. Knock it off. Uh, you're not going to have a voice left. Let this group do their work, you know, and I'll uh, uh, just stick to this time right here. But it, it was great worshiping today and, and good to see all of you. We're wrapping up a series this morning called The End of Your Rope. And our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 8, if you have a Bible. And you want to turn there. Luke chapter 8, it's a New Testament. Uh, Luke was a historian, really, copying down the events of Jesus' life and many of the things that Jesus had to say for us. And so I want to look at Luke chapter 8 with you, Luke 8, 41. Uh, if you have a Bible of your own or if you use something like the version app on your phone, you can turn there. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, it's great to have one in your lap. Uh, you can turn to page 722, 723 actually. And um, this is uh, an account we're going to look at in Jesus' life, an interaction that he's going to have with a couple of individuals who are in a really unique situation uh, in life. It's something that Matthew and Mark records as well. We want to take a look at some of these words here. Let me read them for you as we begin. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 41. Luke writes, Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they had all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you, but Jesus said, No, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I want to talk to those of you this morning who are here who maybe feel like you're barely hanging on right now. Uh, you've been given everything you've got, and you're not sure how much you have left could be trouble in your marriage or an important relationship in your life. Maybe you recently lost someone uh, that you loved. Uh, we've all gone through, we've all had some difficult seasons with finances, and it's amazing how something like finances can cause so much worry and anxiety in life. Uh, maybe you're sick uh, or someone you love is sick, and because of all of it, you're struggling in your faith right now, and in fact, you're not even sure what you believe about anything anymore. What do you do? What do you do when you're at the, the end of your rope, uh, desperate with nowhere to go? We're going to meet two people this morning, a man 
and a woman, a man and a woman who had nothing in common, but actually had everything in common in that they were desperate with nowhere to turn. And maybe that's what's true of you today, or maybe what's true of someone that you love, that you're feeling that that same sort of desperation in life. And what I want you to see in their story is what could be true in your story as well. And that is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life, that you will find everything and more than you need in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. God in heaven, we, uh, we're so grateful that we can come before you today and come into this place and just this confidence that you are here with us. You are here in this church with us. And what a, what a cool feeling. What a, what a wonderful thing to be able to come into this place and worship you. And Father, we invite you into this time right now. You know every person here today. You know every story. You know what we need. And so we are offering this time to you. God, I pray that you would fill my life right now. I pray that you would speak through me this morning. And Lord, that all glory and praise would go to you. We're trusting you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, and so as Luke points out to us, two people, uh, two different people who turned to Jesus in their time of need. The first is a guy by the name of Jairus, all right? And what's his problem? Well, according to the text, Luke records that his daughter is sick and she's dying. Look at verses 41 and 42. We get some important details there that Jairus is a, a synagogue leader and that he came and he fell at the feet uh, of Jesus. Now, because he was a synagogue leader, we know that somebody like Jairus ha had authority. Uh, we know that he had affluence and influence and standing in this community. And we also know that he was a synagogue leader from a city named Capernaum. Now located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum was an important crossroads at this point in history because the international highway passed through Capernaum. So with so much traffic passing in and out of Capernaum, is it any wonder that this community became a strategic center for Jesus and his ministry? And we know there was a synagogue there too. The remnants, which can be seen uh, in this picture, uh, visited this a couple of years ago uh, with a team. And we know that Jesus taught uh, in the synagogue in Capernaum, which which means that he also likely had some level of interaction with Jairus. Now, that doesn't mean that Jairus was a follower of Jesus. In fact, most of Jairus' peers would have been embarrassed that their friend was, was, was bold enough. They would maybe even say weak enough, desperate enough to go and to fall at the feet of Jesus. But Jairus is desperate, and if you have kids, you know that few things will push you to the edge of life than having a child that is sick. And so is it any wonder that he's able and willing to take such a, a desperate uh, action, because in a moment of, of panic, he, he sets out to find Jesus, and he did, and he explained to Jesus what was going on, and he begged Jesus to come with him, and so Jesus and his disciples, they set out for Jairus' home, but on the way, something interesting happened. Pick it up in verse 42. Luke writes, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. All right, and so they're on their way to Jairus' home when we meet the second person in our story, a woman, and a few important details about her. First of all, she has an issue of blood, all right, and this had incredible implications uh, in this particular culture that she lived in. Max Lucado writes this about her. He says, you know, this woman's chronic menstrual disorder would, would be difficult for any woman in any era, but for a Jewess, nothing could be worse. 
Uh, no part of her life was unaffected. Sexually, she could not touch her husband. Maternally, she could not bear children. Domestically, anything she touched in the house was considered unclean. Spiritually, she was not allowed to enter the synagogue to worship. She was physically exhausted and socially ostracized. Add to that, it's been 12 years, meaning for 12 years, no one hugged her. For 12 years, no one laid a hand on her to pray for her. It's fair to say that she'd been living a pretty lonely, desperate sort of life, and no one could heal her either. Mark's account notes that she spent all of the money she had trying to get well. I got to guess that some of you here today know that kind of desperation when it comes to finances, trying to make things work, trying to get well. Finally, unlike Jairus, whose name everyone knows, note the fact that this woman is not named in the story. In other words, in the public's eyes, she's considered insignificant. And note the contrast here. Jairus, 12-year-old daughter, is dying, a woman who has been sick for 12 years. He rules the synagogue. She's not allowed in the synagogue. He was respected. She was rejected. The point, there's just a lot more going on here than we realize. Look what happens next, verse 44. It says, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Now, one of my favorite teachers, a guy by the, Brad, by the, a guy by the name of Brad Gray, uh, taught me about this, that um, the Greek word for edge or corner here comes from the Hebrew word kanaf, all right? And the word kanaf can mean edge or corner or hem or wing of a robe, all right? And this will make more sense here in just a moment. But this woman comes up, she grabs the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, I just wanna make sure that you note the acts of faith that are going on with the two here. For Jairus, like it took a lot of faith for him to go to Jesus, but same for this woman too. And what's she thinking? I mean, obviously she's heard something of Jesus, but, but there's something curious about her in reaching out and grabbing onto the corner of Jesus' robe. Why the corner of his robe? Well, it's likely the result of a command from God recorded in the Old Testament book of Numbers that the Jews were to tie tassels, also called tzitzit, to the corners of their robes. Say this with me, tzitzit, all right? Yes, it's tzitzit, all right? It means tassels or the corners of the robes here. And so here's a close-up picture of these tassels attached to the corners of the robes. And I just happen to have one of these here. Uh, Jews today, some devout Jews will will wear these. They'll have one of these. It's what's called a prayer shawl. And, And if you'll notice on the corners of these robes, there are attached these tzitzit. And it's not uncommon if you were to go to the Western Wall today, one of the holiest places in Jerusalem for the Jews, to find someone there with this prayer shawl draped across their shoulders. And I don't know if you can tell from the picture or not, but dangling from the corner, from the edge of their robe, are these tassels called tzitzit. And the interesting thing about these tzitzit, these tassels, is they've got a lot of significance. And I don't know if Jesus ever wore a prayer shawl, but but there's a really good chance that like any faithful Jew, that Jesus would have tied these tzitzit to the corners of their robes. And again, there's a lot of symbolism here. The symbolism symbolism has everything to do with the 613 laws that make up 
up uh, the, the Torah. Uh, if you can look at this closely, and you're welcome to come up and see it afterwards, there are five knots tied into the tzitzit, which stand for the five books of Torah. And then the spaces in between those knots, there would be four of them, are for the letters Y-H-W-H or Yahweh. And so to, to have the words of God close to you, to have the presence of God close to you in your life. And, and, and you can see evidence even of this throughout Scripture. For those of you that know the story of David and Saul, do you remember when David went and cut off the corner of Saul's robe? All right, he was likely cutting off one of these tassels. And David later felt guilty about it because it was a selfish move on his part as it symbolized stripping Saul of his royal position as king. Anyways, Luke records how this woman, she charges through the crowd and she grabs onto the edge of Jesus' robe. Now, why? Well, maybe, maybe she recalled the words of the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah, in Zechariah 8.23, when he records, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem or the kanaf of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Or the prophet Malachi, in Malachi chapter four, verse two, when he records, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his kanaf and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Did she have these words in mind? We don't know, but I like what Ray Vanderlaan records in his book, Echoes of His Presence. He writes this, he says, it was a common belief that when the Messiah came, he would have healing power in the tassels of his robe, and this woman's act indicated a recognition of Jesus as the Messiah. What do you think? I think it's fascinating. I, I hope you enjoy it too. I hope it just gets your mind working that there, again, there are so many things going on in the word of God. All we know is this. All we know is that this woman was at the end of her rope, and yet she musters up the little bit of faith that she has, and she reaches out for Jesus, and instantly she was healed. And she knew it, and Jesus knew it too. And at first glance, his reaction's a little comical. Verse 45, Jesus asked, who touched me? You know, and, and then when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and press against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Was Jesus playing dumb? I don't think Jesus was playing dumb. Max Lucado says this about it. He says, you know, Jesus healed before he knew it. He writes, it's, it's as if the Father short-circuited the system and the divinity of Christ was a step ahead of the humanity of Christ in this moment. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Now, remember, this woman isn't supposed to be anywhere where there's a crowd. All right, she's not supposed to have physical contact with anyone, but, but desperation will cause you to do some pretty crazy things, right? And, and so this woman, she elbows her way through the crowd. She reaches out to ch touch Jesus, hoping to go unnoticed, but Jesus knows, and then he calls her out, and you know she had to be thinking, will he reject me like everyone else has? But it kind of causes you to think, you know, why did, why did Jesus call her out? Like, like if the potential of rejection and even punishment was so great in that moment. Like, why not let her sneak a healing, you know, and just go on with her life? You know, maybe, maybe Jesus wanted to be sure that, that this woman understood that her healing wasn't the result of some magical powers or some sort of superstition, but that this healing really did come from heaven. Could be that. Uh, at the same time, I think Jesus wants her to see that her faith played a role in God's response. I mean, she acted in faith, and God responded, and 
She's about to get more than she ever hoped for. I mean, she went looking to Jesus for a physical healing. Jesus knew that she had been rejected by everyone. And so he wants everyone to know that she has been healed so that she can regain her place in the community again. And then not only is he restoring her physical health, he's also opening a door for a healing that's going to impact her at the very core of who she is. And so it's no wonder that Jesus spoke these next words to her. Verse 48, Luke writes, Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And this word daughter here is just such a sweet term of endearment. It would be much like calling your little girl honey or, or, or sweetheart. And, and interestingly, this is the only recorded time in all of Scripture that, that Jesus referred to any woman as daughter. And that's significant because, remember, we don't get her name. But, but Jesus knew. He lets us know that this girl that nobody wanted, this girl that no one would dare touch, was now being embraced by the God of heaven. But let me tell you one other reason. I think her healing needed to be made public. Who have we forgotten about? Yeah, there's a dad here. All right, there's a guy by the name of Jairus, all right? He's watching all of this. And remember, he's the reason they're out there in the first place. Like, you know he had to be growing impatient in this moment. I mean, this woman's sick. His daughter's dying. It's malpractice, all right, when you think about it. And so could it be that Jesus was asking Jairus to trust him in even greater ways? Like Jesus knew that Jairus needed even more faith because his world is about to be rocked. Luke writes, verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, with the message, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Could there be any worse news? to get in a moment like this. And I'm sure for you, but as a pastor, I've had to walk through tragedy with more than one family. And it's one of the most difficult parts about ministry. And I'll never forget the day that I drove to a hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, to sit with a couple that I had married, a couple whose baby didn't wake up that morning. And that was one of the most difficult drives I ever had to make and uh, pretty emotional for me. Uh, I'll never forget walking into the room at the hospital to meet that couple. Um, my pain was great, nothing compared to what they were going through in that moment. And if you've ever experienced loss like that in your life or in your family, you know the pain that Jairus is going through right now. And so I can imagine him collapsing in agony. I mean, can't you see the people trying to, to comfort him and, and maybe lift him to his feet? And then the people around him, one in particular, you know, start urging him, just, just let Jesus go. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And, and when you think about it, isn't that how doubt and, and even disappointment with God works? Like when we encounter something, when we go through something difficult, like we get, we get fed up waiting on God. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed for something? You just get tired of waiting on him. Or, and, and it's through that time of waiting, and it's in that time of disappointment that sometimes the voices get louder and, and louder. The fear gets greater and greater. And we hear messages like, you know, like, like I'm, you're, you're losing hope in moments like these, seasons like these. Or, you know, you, you're thinking to yourself, this isn't going to end well. Or, you know, God is never going to come through. And that's why, that's why, especially when you're going through difficult seasons in life, you need to make sure you're hearing from Jesus. 
All right, when you're going through difficult times and difficult seasons, and I know that for some of you, that's even right now, you need to make sure you're hearing from Jesus. You need to make sure you're spending time in, in God's word each day, absorbing it and soaking it in. It's why this church family is so important, all right? To, and not just to come and to do worship on Sundays, but to be a part of this family and to get into things like connection groups. So do you have people to, to walk with, you know, through life, when life is difficult and in the good times as well? We need to make sure that we're hearing from Jesus because there are so many other voices that want to take hold in, in those moments. Look at verse 50. Luke writes, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And don't, don't miss those words. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He's basically saying, I'm, I need you to trust me, Jairus. Believe in me. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what the issue is for you today but maybe part of the reason why you're here this morning is to hear Jesus say to you, don't be afraid, don't give up. You keep trusting me, keep believing and keep trusting. You know, there was something about Jairus' words that caused Jairus to, or Jesus' words that caused Jairus to get up, to keep following, and he did just that. Look at verse 51. It says, when he arrived uh, at the house of Jairus, all right, and so this is Jesus and Jairus and his party of people, it says, Jesus did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her to stop wailing. And Jesus said, she is not dead, but, but asleep. You know, because they didn't embalm bodies at this point in history back then, funerals began within hours of a person's death. And so by the time they arrived at this house, the funeral has already started. And in those days, funerals were noisy affairs. According to Jewish burial rites, crowds of people were actually paid to come and to make noise and to mourn at an affair like this. And that sounds strange to us in the West, all right? But this is a different culture they're living in. Whatever the case, Jesus steps into the midst of this funeral and says, stop wailing. She's not dead. She's asleep. Now, this isn't the only time that the Bible, that Jesus compares death to sleep or the other writers in scripture. What's, what's Jesus saying here? I just think Jesus has got a different opinion of death. All right, and, and he's ready to, to speak about death, to interpret death from God's viewpoint. And the truth is, the, the truth is the same for us, that if you've lost people in your life, no matter people, uh, how, how premature their death may have been, no matter how natural their death may have been, if they've trusted Jesus Christ with their life and their salvation, guess what? Death is a temporary uh, state. It's, it's a long nap, if you would, much like falling asleep. See, the wonderful hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is the promise of eternal life with God in heaven, and Jesus knew that. All right, but he also knew what, what his father in heaven could do. He knew that his father could raise this child from the dead and for his glory. Verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up, and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, unlike other faith healers at this time in history, who made money and gained popularity through their public healings, Jesus wants to keep this mostly a private event. So notice that he only invites in the parents and then a few of his disciples. And uh, you know they're, they're going to be impacted by this. But I, but I love the words, he took her by the hand. And what's interesting again is that in this culture, a dead body was ceremonially unclean too. And that just means there's all sorts of implications for having physical contact with a dead body, much like the woman who touched Jesus' robe. But once again, 
Jesus isn't going to be held back by the so-called customs of the day. And he grabs this little girl by the hand and he tells her to get up. And then something really interesting, he tells them to give her something to eat. Why? Well, I mean, isn't that just how it works if you have teens in your house? Like if they're not asleep, they're eating. Like that's all they do, they eat. I've got two teens now and that's all they do is they eat. They eat second breakfast and third dinner and all these things. We've got no food in our house anymore. And so he, he, he tells them to give her something to eat. But imagine the reunion, the girl with her parents and what this must have meant for James and John and Peter and their faith, you know, and what Jesus was doing for them. That's another message for another day. And then Jesus says, don't tell anyone what happened. Why is he doing that? Well, I think Jesus knew that this resuscitated life was going to cause a lot of stir and commotion in the community. And so why ask them to be quiet? I guess you could say he's trying to control the pace of his growing fame and popularity to give him as much time as possible to do the work the Father had called him to do before going to the cross. Remember, as important as the cross is for us, Jesus came to do so much more than that. More than that, all right? More than the cross, again, as important as that is. Here's the thing. What do we take away from this? You know, even as we wrap up this series and think about these last three weeks together and particularly this account today, like, what do we take away from all this? I, I think there are a number of different lessons we could draw from today. I've had a really hard time trying to limit them, and so I'm going to leave you with a number of things to think about. But if I could boil it down to one, I would just say this. If you find yourself in a place of desperation right now, feeling hopeless with nowhere to turn, I want to encourage you this morning to grab hold of Jesus and don't let go. To grab hold of him with everything that you have, everything that you are, and, and to, to clench onto him, to grasp onto him in faith. And don't you let go. You know, Jairus raced and, and fell at the feet of Jesus, even, even in the waiting and in the doubts. Like, he followed Jesus all the way home. This woman in our story, she had nowhere to turn. She put everything on the line and reached out to Jesus with the little bit of faith that she has. Again, no matter what it is that you're going through in life, don't hesitate to go to Jesus. Don't hesitate to take it to him. Like there's, there's nothing too great. There's nothing too small for him. And I can't promise you that he's gonna bring somebody back from the dead, but I do believe that he still works miracles today. I believe his miracles are present around us. And sometimes his miracles sound a lot like the, the words, no more cancer. Uh, sometimes they, it, it's, you know what, the infection is gone and there's no explanation. Uh, or, or I don't know how to say this to you, but, but you're pregnant. Or, or maybe when the money arrives just in the nick of time, like his ability to perform miracles today, you know, is true, it's real. And it doesn't mean we always get what we want. Like, like sometimes, like the two in our story, his miracles mean that we get more than we expected. Again, the woman went looking to Jesus for a physical healing. Jesus healed her, but then he's going to restore her publicly and spiritually. For Jairus, remember when he turned to Jesus, he went looking for help for a sick daughter. Jesus had something greater planned. He was going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. No matter what it is, no matter what it is for you, what you're going through right now, you can always turn to Jesus and keep trusting him even when it's hard. Keep trusting him through it. Like I, I don't want to give you the illusion that following Jesus means that we get a pass on pain and suffering. It, it is one of the most difficult realities that we have to deal with, even as followers of Jesus, of why so much pain and so much suffering. And you know, you and I, if you've been around this for a while, you know that we're going to go through tough times, tough times that are going to cause you to ask, why, why God? You know, or why, why do we have to go through, why the pain? Like, this makes no sense, but just because we don't have an answer 
for everything we have gone through or will go through in life doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. And just because he's delaying in your life doesn't mean he's not paying attention. I mean, the presence of pain doesn't mean he's lost control or that he doesn't love us. You and I are going to go through difficult times. For, for now, we've got to take all of our pain and all of our desperation to Jesus. And we need to do this every day. And the best thing we can learn from Jairus and this woman is that there are incredible benefits to trusting him. I saw this sign in the store the other day that just caught my attention. It was a sign that said, you are stronger than you think you are. Now, I know what's meant by that sign, okay? But can I tell you something? Can I break some news to you? You and I are much weaker than we realize, all right? We aren't as strong as we think we are. We are weak. I am incredibly weak and dependent on the Lord, and that's why he became weak for us. He became weak on the cross, and he gave his life for us so that through his resurrected body, we could have life and strength. The writer of Hebrews says this about what we have in Jesus in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He writes, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, keep trusting Jesus even when it's hard. And no matter what you're going through and no matter how bad it is and no matter how long you've been praying, don't give up on God. Can you imagine if Jairus would have given up on Jesus in that moment that the message came? What if he would have walked away? Walked away in that moment from Jesus and what he would have missed by not trusting this man. Listen, I know some of you are hurting this morning. Your body hurts. Your mind hurts, you're confused. Maybe you've been praying for months, if not years for something, barely hanging on by faith right now. Don't give up on God just yet. Keep trusting. I want you to know this morning that he knows the pain. He, he knows the suffering. He knows your desperation. And like Jairus and like for this woman, you know what? Your miracle might be just around the corner. And I want to also make sure this morning that you're not hanging on to the wrong rope, all right? Because it's possible in life and sometimes when we go through these difficult things to be hanging on to the wrong things and to put our, our dependence on this particular relationship or this particular substance or, or, or what I can draw from myself and, you know, because I'm stronger than I think I am. When we go looking to other things to do for us what only God can do, man, there's a potential that we're hanging on to the wrong rope and we've got to make sure we're clinging to the right rope the only one that can help, our greatest source of satisfaction. Friends, let's together grab hold of Jesus and not let go and keep trusting him for what's ahead. And I don't know what that looks like for you today. And I don't know what sort of choice you feel like you need to make, whether you're, you're barely hanging on right now or maybe you've given up on him and wondering what it looks like to come back. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus invites every single one of us to come and to trust him and to hang on to him. You can turn to Jesus today. You can return to him today. I want to leave you with this verse. It also comes out of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I find incredible encouragement in these words that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he, Jesus, offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And get this, 
and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And with those words in mind, and maybe the image of Jairus and this woman today, what what does it look like for you to take your prayers, your hopes, your cries, all of your fears, your tears to Jesus today and to lay them before him and know that you are heard, that you are heard by the God of this universe. I want to give you a moment just to do that. Wherever you are, to reach out to him today. And maybe just tell him, Jesus, I am reaching out to you right now. Once again, with the little bit that I have left, I'm clinging to you right now, today. Do that. Do that with your words. Don't hesitate to take it to him this morning. Let's give him space right now, even in this moment, to do his work in our lives, to encourage our faith, to increase our faith and our dependence in him. Father, again, you know every life, you know every story here this morning. You know what we need, and you have what we need. Father, I pray that faith would increase all around this room right now. That in our desperation as we turn to you, that we would encounter a God of love, a God of grace, and maybe even a message or some words from you today that remind us to keep trusting, keep believing. Don't give up on me. Father, we're grabbing hold of you right now. We're not going to let go. We're going to encourage each other in this. We're going to walk with each other through these things as a family, as as a church. Have your way in us, Lord. Give us hope. Faith today. Father, work some miracles even in this room right now. Our hope is in you.